Welcome to Coach House Talks. A middle-aged man walked into a makeup section of a large department store. It's not going where you think. Although nowadays it probably could. The salespeople approached him assuming that he was buying goods for his significant other. Uh, to their surprise, he begged them to teach him how to apply makeup. They were a bit taken aback, but seeing as the store was not particularly bustling at that time, not particularly busy, they indulged him. He took detailed notes throughout this rather thorough lesson. And finally, at the end, they simply couldn't hold it in any longer. And they asked what it is that inspired him to learn this art. He replied, my dear wife recently lost her sight in a terrible accident. So she can't put on her own makeup anymore. I've always loved her. And she knows that I think she's the most beautiful woman in the world, no matter what. But when we go out nowadays, she doesn't have the confidence she used to have. I came here because I want to be able to put on her makeup for her so she can feel as beautiful on the outside as I know that she is on the inside. So it won't surprise you, today I want to look at the central pillar of our church, what holds everything that we've been talking about, all that we are as a church, the coach house, and that is this. And I've titled this, if you want a title to write for taking notes, Let Love Cover All. Now we just had Valentine's Day. Hands up if you've got a Valentine's card. Every year, I wish I could put my hand up. <laughs> it's all right, she's not in, she's gone. I debate whether to send one to myself. <laughs> but I think, no, that was just, that would be weird, wasn't it? So we've just had Valentine's Day. So love's in the air. This is a week of love. Um, hopefully you've all been taken out and treated and things like that. I didn't get that either, but... Thank you. Whoever said all, thank you. <laughs> so today I want to look at the pivotal part of what makes the coach house unique to us. Uh, what governs us as we journey forward, what is the central part of our DNA, what is the underlying quality that we have, that we live up to, and what shapes us for this church's purposes. And that is love. Let love cover all that we do, all that we say, all that we endeavor to be, and I say this not as a trite statement, but because it is the central, most important value that demonstrates our commitment to God. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 3, very, very famous. If you speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others... I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, 
But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Now, before I get berated later, this love chapter from 1 Corinthians, which is often used at weddings, has a context to it, so we just need to fill in a little bit of context so you don't think I'm running away and making arguments that aren't there. It fits within the whole argument that Paul is making to the Corinthian church about the misuse of the gifts. Okay, so if this love passage just fits into the whole thing, you can't separate it out and go, hey, this doesn't mean... It's about what's going wrong in that church, namely speaking in tongues and prophecy. It was out of control. So the takeout from this is that looking the part, speaking the part, looking knowledgeable is all pretty useless if it isn't based on love. The church at Corinth was a rowdy rabble. They had a lot wrong. We're going to take communion later. And actually, you'll find that the passage that he used for communion comes straight from 1 Corinthians. But actually, he says some very strong words to them before that. He says, I can't trust you with this because you're misusing it. You're doing it the wrong way. So let me show you how it should be done. And that's where we get our instructions from. But actually, what he was doing was saying to a church, you've got this all wrong. And this church at Corinth was a rowdy rabble. They're all vying for position. They were all trying to outdo each other. If you pray for five minutes, then, hey, I'm going to pray for 10. And if you pray for 10, I'm going to pray for 15. It was that kind of contest going on. It wasn't, I am going to pray because, God, I'm just overwhelmed by love. I'm going to pray because I like the sound of my own voice. And it's better than the person sat next to me. And there was all that kind of competition going on. Their behavior was out of control and disorderly. And Paul identifies the problem that they have in the church at Corinth. You do not love one another. They don't love each other and therefore they cannot act in love towards one another. They are simply noisy gongs. Please, Lord, don't let that be said of us. The famous description of love that follows, love is patient, love is kind, etc., is precisely to tell the Corinthian church that this is the opposite of their behavior. This is the opposite of what he is seeing being lived out in there as he spends time with them. So he tells them, this is what love looks like, and you're not identified as this, but this is what you should be identified as. Love is patient, love is kind, and we all know that famous passage that is read at weddings. If they want all the other elements of spiritual life, gifts of the Spirit, and unity and purpose, then they must build it on love. That's the central theme that, that Paul is banging on at them here. Without love, everything else counts for nothing. And Jesus himself made the same point and tells us why loving each other is so important. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, have you ever asked yourself, why is this a new commandment? Why does Jesus take something out of the Old Testament and say this is a new commandment. Surely it's just a reiteration given in the 
Ten Commandments. Do that just for you then. That's nine and one. Okay, ten. It's a new commandment because Jesus has become the demonstration of God's love in a human form. It's not just written on a tablet of stone to refer to. Here is Jesus, a human example for us to follow. A human example of God's love. Love one another as I have demonstrated my love to you. You've watched me dealing with people. You've watched me dealing with sinners. You've watched me going eating with sinners. You've watched me in this time that I've spent with you demonstrating God's love to all humankind. Now follow me. Do the same. I picked you. I've walked with you. I've ate with you. I've shared with you. I've prayed with you. My very presence with you showed you the good intentions of a heavenly father whose heart is to dwell with mankind in intimacy. But more than that, Jesus is himself showing himself to be God. I am giving you a new commandment. I am telling you to love one another. And why can I do that? Because I am God. So let's just pause here for a second because I need to say this, okay? Before we go any further, I need to say this to you. One of the most notable and often quoted qualities of this church is its love for one another. Time after time, we hear it said of the place, and we should actually be very proud of that. Not in the prideful, sinful sense, but actually be proud that you are demonstrating to others who come through the door your love for God, demonstrated by your love for one another. It's clearly identified as being part of the DNA of this church. I've experienced it. I'm sure that you have experienced it. And hopefully, we will continue to demonstrate it to each other. As part of the fabric of our church, this is a call to commit to love one another even more. To show more grace to one another and to demonstrate to those around us what full relationship with God looks like. Even if it's only a reflection of what is actually to come. Your love for each other lets the world know that you are disciples of Jesus. So when people come in and they say, oh, I feel the love, I, I, there's this sense, I, there's this love, you love one another. Ask yourself why that is. Because I'm sure if you looked around this room, <laughs> this is a dangerous bit, I'm sure if you looked around this room, you could identify people that perhaps it's difficult to love. I'm just being truthful. But actually, God gives us the ability to love one another, to see beyond the outward display that we sometimes treat each other with. And what we react to is what actually is the inside bit that God is changing. We respond spirit to spirit. So what is love? 
And how on earth do we measure up to the standard that Jesus set us? Well, there's a practical question. Love each other as I have loved you, said Jesus. So here's, here's a statement for it. He's saying, this is my example. Now you do it. How on earth do we reach that kind of standard? So what is love? Well, love is a set of emotions and behaviors characterized by intimacy, passion, and commitment. It involves care, closeness, protectiveness, attraction, affection, and trust. Not my words, but a dictionary word. A dictionary definition of what love is. But here's another thing. We should almost also be reminded that this level of commitment and intimacy generates something else. Jealousy. The dictionary definition for jealousy is worth looking at because it comes in two terms. And if I said to you, hey, I want you to be jealous, most of us would go, what? <laughs> That's so negative. Well, the, Bible tell, uh, the dictionary will tell you that jealousy, the one we are most equated with, is envious resentment of something or someone. I think we can all identify with that. We've been jealous of something in our lives, whether it's jealous of somebody else's relationship or jealous of what they've got. It's kind of covetousness, it's called in the Bible, coveting something that somebody else has got. That kind of jealousy, we're equated with that. But if you read further in the definition, it tells you that actually jealousy has another definition. And hold on to this, because this is what God's definition of jealousy is. When God says he's jealous, this is what he's meaning. Jealousy is being fiercely protective of one's rights or possessions. Fiercely protective of one's rights or possessions. Hence, God is a jealous God. In the protective and passionate sense that characterizes God's dealing with his people. When we read the Bible, we see this over and over and over again. Everything he does, he does out of jealousy because he wants his people to be separate to himself. He wants us to belong to him. He wants us to worship him. Why would we substitute the best for something else? I'm sure God kind of says this. Why on earth do you wander away and substitute me for all of this nonsense? When I've demonstrated so much love for you. God alone deserves our worship and only he is worthy of it. He's our creator. We've been given, given everything that we could ever want and this is found in perfect covenant relationship with a loving Father. We belong to him. Therefore, he is jealous when we give that affection to another idol or false god, whatever that might be, which is undeserving of worship and honor. So do we kind of get why God is jealous when it says in the Old Testament, God is a jealous God? It's because he longs for intimate, relationship with you and it breaks his heart when we go I'd rather give it something else this is worth understanding because when we read that God is a jealous God for example in Exodus 20 it's within the context of the relationship that God has given his chosen people Exodus 20 verse 5 you must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, 
I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. That's a statement that comes straight out of the Old Testament. That God says to his people, do not bow down and worship others. For I, the Lord, your God, you belong to me. And I'm pouring out my love to you. I'm pouring out my affection to you. I am pouring out everything that I am to you. Being committed in our worship of God and willingly walking in intimacy and closeness with him has an effect on us, you may well be surprised to know. As Jesus states in Matthew 22, verse 40, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Hang on a second. Every law, every commandment, everything that dictates our behavior is based on just two commandments? Matthew 22, 37, 39. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see how important love is? When we elevate love, when we elevate the very characteristic of God and we act in it, then something happens to us. Our behavior changes. Now, there's long been debate as to where love actually comes from, whether it's biological or it's a cultural phenomenon. I think it's actually a simple answer. We'll cut across all of the books that have been written. We'll cut across all of the kind of online prophets of doom and where you get most of your, or I won't say you, but where lots of people get their information from nowadays. It's a fairly simple answer, I think. Love comes from, characterizes, and determines the actions of God. Why? Because God is love. And we can't get away from that. God is love. 1 John 4, 7 to 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Whose love is a ch- anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, I'm going to be quite div- divisive here. Because we all think that we show love, don't we? We all show love and affection to people. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Well, that seems to be a, hey, if we just love, then that's okay, isn't it? We know God. Surely God is saying, no, there's a different definition here. The only reason that we can experience love is because God first loved us. It's the base point for any emotional response we have from that point onwards. As man has fallen, the purity of love has been tarnished, twisted, and remade into the emotion we know it as today. Love is difficult to disseminate from the twisted form, which is lust. Love has become something associated with sex. And in fact... 
Since the revealing of the emotion of shame that Adam and Eve felt in their nakedness, man has continually struggled to understand the depths that love has. Satan has played absolute havoc with the word love. And we see the results of this confusion and sin very clearly today. But even in this fallen, crazy world that we live in, we should be reminded we still celebrate love and love as God intended it. 1 John 4, 9-10. to God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And we're going to celebrate that love with a love feast. Because when we come and take communion, that's exactly what we are doing. We are centering our hearts and our thoughts on the love that God demonstrated to us through Jesus. And we have a feast in order to tune us in to the cost of that commitment to us. Lord, I just want to thank you for everything that you've given to us. And Lord, the recognition in our lives that it's you that does it. Lord, thank you that you are moving amongst us. And Lord, we pray that we will be changed by your love. In Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen. I, I read before from 1 John 4, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And I think this reminds us very clearly of the love that God showed to us because he created us to have relationship with him. And he has shown us, as the prayers have been said, He has shown us nothing but love. Everything he's done towards us has been love. And I think that we need to be reminded sometimes that it was mankind who chose to divorce God. The Bible tells us this very clearly. And it also clearly shows us that it's even in our desire to pursue our own gods and desires that God has resolved to keep on loving us. Ultimately providing the sacrifice of Jesus to reinstate our marriage. Hence the marriage language of Revelation and the Bible. And we need to keep this imagery in mind throughout Scripture. God hates divorce. Why? Because it was never his intention for us to separate from him. And ultimately, as we see the extent of God's love towards us, this is the template for our love to one another. 1 John 4 continues in verse 11. Dear friends, 
since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. So here is the culmination of why we are called to display love to one another. And why that love has to be the love of God, not simply the emotion of human love. It is the full expression of God in our lives. It's the source of our worship. It's the source of our adoration. It's the source of our behavior. And it's the source of our witness. And that's why it forms such an important and vital part of our DNA here. So I want to encourage you, continue living in and living out God's love. So in a world desperate for affirmation and purpose, we can truly point to Jesus, the full and complete expression of love lived out through you, his church. Because that is what God intends for us. And he intends us to be in relationship again with him. And he is so jealous for that relationship that he will not let anything get in the way of it. So regardless of how you feel today, whether you feel close or distant, God is telling you that he loves you. That his heart is to have relationship with you. And he has done everything to make that possible. Jesus himself covers our sin, has paid the price for all sin, for all time, for all mankind, once and for all. So my job is just simply to tell you not to give up, that God loves you. And even if you don't feel like it on the outside, God sees the inside. And he will continually make you into his likeness if you let him. So love one another from the deepness of God's love for you and not just as an emotional, oh, I have to love, therefore I will love. Love because God loves you. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at www.coachhousechurch.org.